Last week we started on a uh, series of messages in the Gospel of John, uh, last part of chapter 13, and we'll go through to the end of uh, chapter 17. And uh, this section of the Gospel is traditionally known as uh, the farewell discourse. It's kind of, it is Jesus' last words in preparation for the cross and his resurrection. And so he's got his, his closest friends, his disciples gathered around. And so whenever you have someone in those kinds of situations, right, we talked about this last week, if you're sitting by someone's deathbed and they are able to speak to you their last words, those are significant. You want to listen. That's important. Uh, you want to pay close attention to what they're saying. So these, in a sense, these are Jesus' last words, although not really, uh, because uh, Jesus still continues to speak through his spirit and through the scriptures. But in that setting, uh, they're anticipating the cross. He's, he's got his face set. That's where he's going, to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. And so these are important words. So he starts out chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. Now this section, especially this first, the first four verses is very familiar, I think, for a lot of people. If you've been around uh, church for a while, if you're a believer, if you've gone to a funeral, uh, oftentimes this passage is, is part of the service. It's quite familiar. And it, it's often read or used at a time when people are feeling a sense of loss or uncertainty or a sense of grief or maybe confusion or even anger. There's a deep sadness, maybe some fear involved, and they're asking questions often in those kinds of settings. So they're saying to themselves or each other, what's next for us? Uh, what do I do? Where do I go? You know, what, what's the future going to look like now that I've experienced this thing? So if you could just give me a map, if you could just give me a, a manual, a, you know, a guidebook to say, here's what you do uh, in situations like this, you know, when you have a loss or you're going through a deep sense of a sadness and trial, here's what you do. Or at least give me someone who can walk alongside me as I go through this. So this little group of disciples, the friends of Jesus, are wrestling with questions like that. And so they have shared a meal together with him. Uh, not surprising, many meals that they shared together, but this was a Passover meal, something they did every year, and that they would recall the scriptures and they call, recall the, the uh, story of their people, of the Passover and the deliverance from Egypt, of, out of slavery and into freedom. Every year they would remember that, they would eat the meal and say the words together that would tell that story again. But this Passover was different than all the ones before. There was something about it that was different. The words were different. The, some of the actions were the same, but Jesus begins to transform something so familiar and so dear to them with his words and his interpretation of what's really going on here in the bread and the cup. And so he says to take the bread and eat it because... This is my body. And he took the cup of wine after supper and he gave thanks for it. And he gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So there's something different here. Something unique. 
And then he also does in the Gospel of John, we read of something that he does that shocks them even more. He gets down on his knees and he washes these disciples' dirty feet. He serves them like a servant, and yet he's their, their Lord. He says, I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher, and yet I'm going to serve you. He gets on his knees and washes their feet. And he's turning upside down their idea of what it means to be a leader. So now they have in this mind a picture, right, that will stay with them for the rest of their lives of what it means to be a leader. It means to be a servant of others, to put others in front of yourself. And so he says, you need to do this for each other. So as we're getting closer to the cross and we're going to go through the season of Lent starting next week, and Jesus is, dis- is instructing his disciples. He's talking about what's to come. Uh, s- in some ways, some of the stuff that comes before that is kind of cryptic. It's mysterious, and we're not, you know, disciples at least. In hindsight, we know what he's talking about. But they, they were in the dark a lot of the time. They didn't understand it. But now Jesus begins to speak more plainly. And the cross looms larger. And he's heading for Jerusalem. And so even in the midst of this, and in all this kind of hints of bad things to come, it seems like the disciples, those followers of Jesus, it, it sounds like, it seems like they're falling apart. And so we have Judas, the one who would betray him, and we have Peter, the one who would deny him. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, trust in God. Trust also in, in me, in Jesus. So last week we talked about one of the things that we're going to need to learn that they needed to learn was how to love. How to love one another. And they learned that from Jesus by watching his life. Uh, the beginning of chapter 13 talks about he will now show him the full extent of his love. As he serves that meal th- with them, as he washes their feet, and even more as he goes to the cross. He will show them the full extent of his love, how far he is willing to go out of love for them. And so as they see that, as they experience that, he says, the thing that's going to characterize you from now on, that will, in the eyes of the world, will, will show that you are followers of Jesus, will be this, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. So that was last week, that lesson, that, that command to love. This week we're talking about trust. You know, the, the incarnate Christ, the, the Gospel of John starts with the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Uh, the message translation says God became a man and dwelt among us. He, he tabernacled, he became, he moved into our neighborhood, I think is the wording. Uh, and so he became one of us. So they had his presence, his physical presence with him, day after day, month after month. And so that was a sense of, there was a sense, I think, of security and of comfort, knowing that he's present with them, following his leadership. They could see him, they could touch him, they could follow him. And that security was going to be shaken soon. So no wonder they were troubled. Their hearts were troubled. We would be too, because their world was being turned upside down. So any of you got shook a little bit last night? A little shaking, a little rattling. Yeah, we had an earthquake. 
in Salmon Arm. 2.2 on the Richter scale. It was quite a, it's the first earthquake I've been in, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> uh, so I was sitting in my office last night, and the windows started. I thought somebody hit our house uh, with their car, and uh, the windows shook, and there was a noise, and, and uh, yeah, I went out to see what was going on, looked outside, nothing, and Facebook lit up, with, you know, and everybody was on Facebook, so all kinds of ideas of what was going on, so uh, some were saying it was a sonic boom, and others were saying there was a house that exploded on 16th Avenue, I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, some were saying that a uh, meteor hit somewhere around Sycamus, and, uh, you know, there were even people that were talking about, uh, you know, it was an alien crash landing or something like that. I think I threw that one out there. So, you know, lots of creative ideas of, you know, what was going on. So we finally know that's, that's really what happened. So uh, our world was shook up a little bit. We're not used to that. Some people are in different parts of the world. That's a regular occurrence. And it wasn't a big one. It's just a little shaking. Uh, but the disciples, their seismic shift in their life that was much bigger than that little 2.2 on the Richter scale. It was right up there, whatever the top number is, I have no idea. But uh, their world was shaken. And so it was shaken by the fact that they were, that they were told by Jesus that someone, one of their own, would deny him, or would, would betray him, that's Judas, and one of them would deny him three times. Their world was being shaken. And Jesus is, also shakes them by his talk about going away. He's going to depart from them. He's no longer going to be with them, in a sense. And the frustrating thing, I think, for them in some ways, but he, he seemed to, seems to expect that they would know where he's going and why he's going, that kind of thing. But they didn't. So there, one of the things that you'll see in this passage is this back and forth questions. The disciples are asking questions. Uh, and he's giving answers and further te teaching. So uh, Jesus says, you know the way where I'm going. Thomas responds, no, we don't. We don't have any idea where you're going. How can we know? You haven't given us a map. We don't have our GPS yet. Uh, you know, you haven't given us a diagram. You haven't explained that to you. How would we know where you're going? And Jesus responds again. He says, I know your hearts are troubled. I know this is upsetting for you. I know that in a sense, in, in not in his words, I'm reading between the lines. Uh, I know that it, you're, you're feeling a sense of impending abandonment, that you've been with me for all of this time. I've poured into your life, and now I'm leaving. You're feeling abandoned. Uh, you're feeling like you're going to be cut adrift. You have no maps, no manual. There's no GPS system that can guide you in your life anymore. Uh, you're in this strange place without your leader anymore. Even more personal in chapter 14 of John, it says, you know, Jesus says at the end, I'm not going to leave you orphaned. It's like your father says, you know, I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. You're on your own, kids. Orphaned. So they're filled with questions. And I think probably we wouldn't be much different. We'd have questions too. When trouble comes, when we run into trials, when we experience loss, when we're uh, in a difficult situation, often those questions come up. We're filled with, with doubt and with loss and with uncertainty. We have questions, we have doubts, we have fears. Not just as individuals, but whole groups can be like that. Whole groups, their, their, their sense of security can be shaken. And they're troubled. They're troubled in their hearts. 
because these trials disturb our comfortable equilibrium and we feel like we're out of our depth. We have questions. And sometimes it, it just takes us right back to the basics again. So how can we know? Just like the disciples, we could ask that question. How can we know the way to God? How are we to see and know the Father? And does God really, at the end of this chapter, does God really hear and answer our prayers in this kind of a situation? Does God really care? And our hearts are troubled, and we have questions, and that's okay. And Jesus helps them through responding to each of those questions to see that the answers are right in front of them, right there for them to see. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he says, dear children. I haven't abandoned you. I won't leave you as orphans in the world. The Father's house has lots of room. You know, it's not as if, you know, you're going to come home to the Father's home and there's no room for you. It's wide open. There's lots of room for each of his children. The doors are open wide. And at the heart of the Father's household is the Son, Jesus. So don't be troubled. You will always be with me where I am, he says. And I think Duncan was talking about something about how this is not just for heaven, right? Oftentimes we use this passage in terms of, you know, this is something that's just for heaven. God has promised not only to be with us in heaven, to be that we can be part of his household, the household of faith, but right now. Uh, his great commission says, I am with you always, always. He never leaves us nor abandons you. He's with us right now. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You, disciples, know the way to the Father. You don't need a map. You don't need your GPS. You don't need your iPhone or whatever brand you have. You know the way. He's standing right in front of you, Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've known the way all along. All these years that you have followed him, all these years that you have listened to him, all these years that you've seen the works of Jesus, you have been right in the presence of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. You've known him all along. And so those disciples, before they were uh, called Christians, the scriptures say, they were called followers of the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the, the way is embodied in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so we are followers of the way. And as you follow Jesus the way, you also find that he is the truth and is the life. We're, you know, we're in a culture and a time where there's so many options, right? We've got unlimited options for how we can pursue our life and, and even for the, just the basic questions of what is life about and who am I and what makes a person uh, a human being, a male or a female or whatever, the variety of questions that you have and there's so much confusion. Where do you find the way? Where do you find your way in life? Where do you find truth in life? Where do you find life itself beyond the grave? Life that's full and meaningful. It's found in Jesus. So Philip, another one of the disciples, you know, he needs more, right? He needs more reassurance. This isn't quite good enough for him. So he says, Lord, 
show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I'm not sure what he was thinking of, you know, what, what he was expecting or wanting in that situation, but uh, Jesus' words were not quite enough. He says, show us, give me, give me a sign, show us the Father, and then I'll be satisfied. I'm not quite satisfied with your answers yet. So it's a pretty radical question for a Jew to ask that uh, someone would show him the Father, God, you know, just set him there right in front of them to see. That's a really radical question. The scriptures, even, even Moses was not allowed to have that face-to-face -face look at, at God, the Father. Uh, you do not see with your physical eyes God, the Father. If you do, you're probably dead. <laughs> it's probably the last thing that you're going to see. So he says, but show me the Father. And Jesus says, you know, he points out to him, you know, sometimes what you're looking for is right in front of you. He corrects him and he reminds us of things that they already knew because especially in times of stress and trial, we forget some of those things. We allow them to s slip away. And so he says to them, in essence, come on, you know, you know all this. We've talked about it. I've taught you. We've been through this before. Uh, I want you to hold on to this promise. In me, Jesus says, you see God. Even the words, it's one of the, the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you read your Old Testament, you hear those words, I am. It's another way, it's another name for God. And so it's a it's very, very impressive statement. He says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? One of the clearest statements of Jesus, of who he is. So trials and suffering can stir up questions and even doubts. And Jesus speaks and he comforts their troubled hearts. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I haven't abandoned you, Jesus said. You will always be with me where I am. In fact, he says a little later in this passage, and we'll talk about it next week, that he's going to send the spirit of truth to be with them, to be in them, to guide them, to lead them into truth. You aren't left on your own devices to figure out, to make sense of life and God. You aren't left to your own devices. He says, I'm going to send my spirit. So you don't need any more signs and revelation. I mean, the clearest sign and revelation of who Christ is is the cross and his resurrection and ascension. And if you know Jesus, he says, you know God. You've seen Jesus. You've seen God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look to the cross and the resurrection. So listen to the words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, 26 to 28, as we prepare for communion this morning. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And so this morning we remember all of the wonderful things that God has done 
through Christ as we receive communion. We want to take uh, some time to prepare our hearts to pray, to ask God to cleanse us and to prepare us to receive communion this morning. So let's bow together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send the power of your Holy Spirit upon us so that we may experience anew the suffering and the death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. May your Spirit help us to know in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, the presence of Christ, who gave his body and his blood for all. And may we receive in spirit and in truth your body, the body of the dear Son, and the merits of his shed blood, being washed and made clean through his precious blood. May your Spirit make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in service to all the world. Father, as we come into your presence, we thank you, Lord God, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord God, for your forgiveness. And Lord, uh, search our hearts this morning. If there is any hurtful way, any sinful way in us, Lord, just reveal that to us by your spirit. Just take a moment, just in quiet, silent prayer, to ask God to search your heart. Lord, I am so grateful for your love and your mercy, for your forgiveness purchased for us through your broken body and shed blood. I'm so grateful, Lord God, that uh, your word promises us that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we claim that promise and we thank you for it. Cleanse us, renew us, fill us with your spirit, lead us in your truth. We thank you. And Father, I thank you that, Lord God, just along with the church throughout the centuries, we can say Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.